I'm Al Phil Reese, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. Talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound Archive writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Today I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writer's House in our Arts Cafe by Jenna Osman, whose books of poems include Motion Studies, Ugly Duckling Press 2019, Corporate Relations, Burning Deck 2014, Public Figures, Wesleyan 2012, and others who co-founded and edited the literary magazine Chain with Juliana Spar, who is a Pew Fellow in the Arts and has received grants from the National Endowment for the Arts and the New York Foundation for the Arts other organizations, who is a professor of English at Temple University, where she teaches in the MFA Creative Writing Program. And by Huda Fakhradin, who teaches Arabic literature here at the University of Pennsylvania, author of Metapoesis in the Arabic Tradition, Brill 2015, and the co-translator of Lighthouse for the Drowning, BOA Books, BOA Editions, 2017, and The Sky That Denied Me, University of Texas Press, 2020, whose translations of modern Arabic poems have appeared in Banipal, World Literature Today, Nimrod, Arab Lit Quarterly, and Middle Eastern Literatures, whose book of creative nonfiction, A Small Time Under a Different Sun, was published by Dar al-Nada in Beirut in 2019, and whose most recent book, which I have read with great pleasure, The Arabic Prose Poem, Poetic Theory and Practice, was published in 2020. And by Edwin Torres. And we are, we are recording this session on what I think of as Edwin Day here at the Writer's House, a triple header, a poet and poet performer, and a lingualisualist whose live shows combine vocal and physical improvisation, theater, author of many books, including the all-union day of the shock worker, fractured humorous, yes thing, no thing, and among his recordings, Oceano Rise, Novo, and Holy Kid, whose famed creativity workshop, Brain Lingo, writing the voice of the body he has given across the U.S. and worldwide, and whose new, new book, another great Torres title, Quanundrum, Q-U-A, is being published by Roof Books in the fall of 2021. Edwin, are we literally a week or two away from seeing that book? No, we're sitting on it. It just came out. <laughs> like now. Yes. Do you have it with you? I have some with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. That means that as your host, I get a copy. Or... I guess so. Oh, uh, great. Yeah. Well, I have all of your books. So Huda, good to see you. Good to see you too. And that book is really great. Do you mind taking a little bit of time space in Poem Talk, just saying in a word or two or a sentence or two what that book is about. It's really marvelous. The Arabic prose poem? Yes. The Arabic, the prose poem in Arabic is a problem. <laughs> it's something that people have fist fights about still. Maybe because meters has so much meaning and significance in the Arabic literary tradition, it might seem insignificant, but it still is an issue that people fight about. And that's why this book looks at the intervention of the prose poem and the space that it opens for expanding the meaning of poetry in the Arabic tradition, a, a, a way of wrestling with, with the, that long memory and looking forward and outside of Arabic as well. That Thank was you for great. That's an elevator pitch. No, it's really great. And for those of us who have narrow focuses, who think, okay, where does U.S. modernism fit in? It very much does your knowledge of that and the interrelations is really, really great. So thank you for, thank you. for doing that book. Jenna Osmond, always great to see you. Great to see you too. It's yeah, so nice to be back. This is maybe our second or third or fourth poem third. talk always great i reckon let's think let's try to remember one that we did together uh joan metallic we did not a cage yes with dan uh danny snelson and somebody else and it was great a long time ago uh bob grenier sentences we did some sentences the cards in the box that was good you're you're here for all the good ones well today we four have gathered here to talk about a performance piece by cecilia vicuña that was part of a 90-minute reading, presentation, lecture, talk that 
was called an illustrated conversation and took place here at the Kelly Writers House in this very room in February 2017. One of the segments of the performance goes under the title Colliding and Not Colliding at the Same Time. The segment begins when the audience, having been encouraged to ask questions after uh, an art video was screened, went momentarily silent. So here now is Cecilia Vicuña performing Colliding and Not Colliding at the Same Time. You don't want to speak. I can tell you some more stories. I can tell you perhaps uh, you, Lainey, said something about colliding and not colliding at the same time. I was thinking, what is the mystery of what is happening in this moment in the earth? What just happened here in the US with this election is a sort of echo of what happened in Brazil a few months ago. I suppose you're all aware of what happened in Brazil, where the millionaires, the most corrupt millionaires, took over the government. For what purpose did the millionaires do this coup? This coup, I said, this coup, this sort of, is a new kind of coup. It's not a military coup anymore. It is a millionaire's coup, where they take over for the purpose of idolizing profit, of idolizing money. First thing done in Brazil, destroy all the laws to protect the rainforest, to speed up the destruction of the entire Amazon forest, doing exactly the opposite of what is needed. Now think of us in the US. We collectively have created this mind that thinks of profit as the only possible reality. So when we get when we get this coup, who is creating this coup? other than our collective thoughts, or perhaps unrecognized thoughts. Thoughts. Can you imagine a thought entering this room and us being able to see the body of the thought? As you were saying, it is perfectly doable and without LSD. It is doable, totally doable, if you go into this death temple, even as you are typing these emails, even as you are being persecuted by the cell phone, even if you are going mad, like most people, I could love to say the phrase, Americans walk like this. But it ain't true. Go to Chile and it's the fucking same thing. <laughs> go anywhere. Go to Africa. Go anywhere. And that is what is happening. So what is it that we're reading by non-reading? What is this, what is it keeping us there in this position of bliss? So Edwin, let's start with you. When you, usually on Pump Talk, we start right in with the piece, but I want to go elsewhere for a second. When you get ready, you're packing your bag, you're heading to a Cecilia Vicuña reading performance. You don't know quite what it's going to be. What do you expect to get? I think I pack nothing in my bag, <laughs> and I go there ready. I feel, that's a good question. I feel like I, I go to Cecilia knowing that I can drop the world 
knowing that I can forget everything and that I am going to be taken somewhere and um, happily allow myself to do so and to relish as a listener and as a poet where she can take me. So Jenna, it's an obvious thing, but we should say the obvious at the beginning. She's moving in and out of expected genres all the time. And this piece that we've chosen for Poem Talk is a little unusual in that it's a talk. It's um, in some ways politically didactic. It's, it's, it's different, but she, yet it's the same, isn't it? It's what she calls a quasar. And in the book Spit Temple, which is about her performances, the quasars are discussed at length. Um, there are these moments of energy between her and the audience um, th- her performances are so much about absolute presence and absolute listening. And she reads the audience. She reads everything that happens, everything that might be peripheral, that you might not notice, the things that you're not supposed to pay attention to when you're focusing on somebody who's reading or performing. Um, you know, there was a moment later in this um, Quasar that she performed here where your cell phone went off, Al. I don't remember this. And um, there was a, it was a recording that went off. It was like a recording of Craig Dworkin or something. Like the voice, a voice came into the room and she incorporated it into the talk. So anything that happens, she, there was somebody who was kind of twirling their foot while they were listening to her and that became part of the piece. So my expectation when I go to a Vicuña reading is I expect to be read. I expect to be part of the landscape that is woven into the things that she's thinking about. I expect to be read. That is really cool because there's a dynamism involved that the traditional poetry reading, the one that kind of the bad platonic version of it we have in our minds is so one way. Um, Huda, the different, if we were to transcribe this piece, this part of the talk and read it, if I were to read it in my you know dull, non-poetic voice, and then we listened again to Cecilia. What would be some of the obvious differences between what she does with this strong progressive point of view that she's conveying here about our global situation and the way she does it and the way I would do it if I were reading it plainly? This is an obvious question, but I think we need to get it on the table. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a presence that she summons you into in her performance and this urgency it seems dangerous what she's telling us about and warning us of. And I wasn't very familiar with her work before your invitation, but unlike Edwin, I couldn't drop the world when I listened to this piece. The world came flooding into the space that I was sitting in and listening to her. And I was definitely read, as Jenna said. So Because it just so happened that when I sat there in my office listening to the audio, it was the week after or during the, with the American withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I am constantly burdened by these other places. I'm Lebanese, and I have a, a Lebanon story similar to the Brazil story that she mentions. So my pretense of, of trying very hard to drop the world as I live here in the U.S. Uh, was seen through, <laughs> and I was read, and suddenly I was haunted by being here and the guilt and the feeling of being complicit in something. It was a very powerful piece. I think part of also Cecilia's work on on that note is that she sort of forces us to be aware of our landscape, like to what Jenna was saying. And so whether you choose to be um, non-thinking or all-thinking, she's giving you that that kind of like uh, that ground. In, in her voice, in the breath, but it's, it's just in, in the manner of what she's um, invoking, the power to give back to you. Yes. Does improvisation have everything to do with the power and success of this? I mean, this, this would follow from what you just said, Jenna, but let's talk about improv. Her performances, it's like watching a circuit ignite she comes in with ideas that she, I mean, responses to the world. 
essentially. Like she came in responding to the fact of the results of the 2016 election. And that began the thought process. But it was in, it's almost like her improvisations are a conversation with the audience and with the ambience. Edwin, you can speak to the, well, uh, the, the to improvisation. The nature of what, what is and is not a poem. What is and is not mm-hmm. a reading. And which I'm always interested in, in the process of that exchange. You yourself also as a poet performer. Yeah, yeah. Just wh- where are we in the space that we're at? You know, with my words, with your sitting, with your ears, which I very much get from Cecilia, where she's um, interested in the world that we're in as we're in it, to the point of, uh, of where we're capturing this, this, this exchange, the engagement of our being. And I think in Cecilia's, in her voice and in her, 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 her technical, the, the, the timber, the, the volume, the dynamic that she uses, all that is um, sort of, I, I, I doubt very much that she studied that. I think it's just an internal organic thing that we are not talking about. She is just capturing the world as, as it comes to her. And, and the gift is that she's able to, trend, to, to go beyond the, the mere fact of our time here. It, it's, it's a moment. It's a momentary um, uh, allowance of possibility, really. It's also, it's a mode of creating the circumstance for attention, different kinds of attention than we might, again, getting back to kind of the conventional poetry reading where this, there's, you, you have your expectations in that situation where the speaker will speak and you'll take it in and um, listen to a voice, sometimes with a very kind of predictable cadence. And uh, Cecilia is very interested in breaking that up and surprising you, uh, causing, you think your attention is going in one direction, and then she puts an emphasis on a word in a way that almost makes it not seem like a word, just a sound. And so you start thinking about that word differently. And so I feel like the improvisation there is just um, defamiliarizing. Um, and to bring definition that... to that defamiliarization, mm-hmm. to, 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 bring, to let us define what it means to go off script. I mean, this piece is, is uh, she, she improvised the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Even in her read, in her written pieces, when she's, re- when she's reading from the page, she allows herself to go off and address the world that we're in. So it's in her to kind of break that moment, whether that moment is improvised or not, where we are alive again and again and again, and in that way, we're forced to listen to our own inner listening, inner hearing, and, and change our perception to what we're witnessing. Something special is happening here because the, the rap, the traditional notion of a performance, particularly one that is responsive to the room the way this is, is you had to be there. You had to have been there. And any kind of reproduction of it doesn't do the reading me that the inter-animation of the room does. Uh, for instance, knowing that the phone went off. I, don't, I was there, I don't even remember that. But Huda said a minute ago, you said a minute ago, that when you were reviewing this in your office, it read you too, listening some years later on audio, not even a video, although we do have a video available. So I want to explore that a little further. That's, that's a breakthrough. How is it possible for you a few years later to be read by her when she's already recorded it and it's still in ones and zeros in the mp3 that's that's kind of miraculous it is but before i get to that and might be related jenna and edwin were talking about the nature of improvisation here and it's a very special kind of improvisation because she didn't plan it she didn't mean to improvise she was filling in an awkward silence she filled it in with these thoughts as if signaling or exposing that these these thoughts are always there but now she's summoning them or bringing them into being because there's no there's a silence so these thoughts about uh but let's think of us in the u.s thoughts of being persecuted by your cell phone thoughts about being oblivious and who we are and what we feel those are thoughts that fill all the spaces and the cracks of time but she she brings them into the awkward silence so it's a very special kind of Maybe not improvisation. There must be some other word for it because it's 
It's as if it was always there. She just unveiled it to fill in that. I was going to say, I think it's beyond improvisation. I mean, there's that, that nature is in there for sure. But that, that's how closely connected she is to the fabric of the world, of, of, yeah. the, of the global um, humanity that we're in. She, she, she can reference something. Mm. It, it just sort of comes to her. And uh, she uses the moment on the microphone or the space, whatever it is. And yes, she allows herself to go off sound-wise, but it's connected to something real. Yeah. So it's not just off. So fabric, I think, is a key word to, your, to answer your question, Al. When I was sitting there years later in the aftermath of the election that she mentions, but then many other tragic, horrifying events that, ha- that have happened since that, and probably haunt me personally, what she did is she, like, she unraveled a fabric that I tried to knit very tightly. There's something in the texture of time and place here in the U.S. that she exposed in that video, and it will remain urgent. You listen to it 20 years from now. It's the performance, and it's that thing that she can signal and reveal in the fabric of things. Well, not to put too fine a point on it, Huda, it was February 2017, and at some point in that month, you were standing, convening in this room to deal with, what did we call it, the... Muslim ban. The Muslim ban. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Charlotte Delbo, who, who, a, a survivor of Auschwitz, who writes about what happens when the skin of common memory cracks and urgent deep memory starts to flow forth from it. Um, and it doesn't take much to trigger is not the right word to create that crack. And so February 2017 is a marker for many, many people. And she is returning us to that so that the urgency of, she uses the word doable a bunch of times. Yes. It's doable. I am doing something that most people can't do because of my amazing fabricish improvisational talent. But there is a lot that all of us can do, and that's doable. The doability of it is activism. Anyway, February 2017... Mm-hmm. That's what you were thinking, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Actually, the day before the elections, it was a Wednesday, a very dark Wednesday. She took me back to that and then to the to the aftermath of the Muslim ban. But then, as I said earlier, to many other events that happen, and for someone like me being here in the U.S., her when she says, now think of us in the U.S., that was... Uh, that was uh, somebody calling me out, exposing me, asking me whether I liked it or not to think of myself now in the U.S. And what do I do? What's doable? To her, things are totally doable. So much is. And that's like a call to action. As you said, it's activism. Time to talk about sound and words. Um, can we do a little bit of close listening? Um, I'll start. Maybe we'll just go around and offer coup. She's playing with coup. At first she says coop, then coup, and then she makes it rhyme with who in the sense of who meaning us and complicity, who. So coup is who, and we get connected through the sound, the exact rhyming sound of her saying coup, I'm not going to imitate it, and who. We know exactly the resonance. So there's my contribution. Jenna, do you have a sound moment you want to mention? Well... Yes, but I also want to make the point that it is amazing to have these recordings on Penn Sound in that her address is so intimate and so feels so directed at you. And to listen to her voice through headphones and to be able to listen again and again to kind of because in performance, I know there were words that I missed, and to be able to go back and actually hear them and parse it out um, was an amazing thing to do. And the fact that the video is posted also, so that you can see one thing that might not be apparent from just listening to this clip is that there's this gesture that she makes um, when she starts talking about um, how Americans walk like this but everybody's doing it and that and this is what is and that is what is happening and she's holding her hand up as if she had a cell phone in her hand that is what is happening everybody is we're reading 
by non-reading. Yeah, what does she mean by that? Well, she says, I think what she's is talking it we're about, reading by not reading? I think she's talking about our relationship to our phones or to our devices in general in that we all get with these things in our hands, we all get information. But the price of that is that we don't know what we really are or what we really feel. Okay, so uh, I think that, that that was incredibly moving to me to just think about how we are not present when we are getting our information by doing this and we're all doing this. Um, A not presence that's defied by the leaking out into the later listening of Huda in her office in 2021. I mean, so there's a not presence, and then there's the conventional notion right. of not presence that gets overcome. Um, there's two things I want to bring up. Uh, I wrote something short about that. Um, before that, about fabric, Cecilia does these quipus, which are about which which are um, correct me if I'm wrong. They're they're basically stories told with uh, knots in in rope. It's from Chile. From South America, Andean, from, from Andean, ancient. Yeah. So Cecilia does these incredible, huge versions of those that are in museums, and like um, sometimes the yarn is it's dyed a color or whatever it is. And I bring it up because not only the connection to fabric and her interest in storytelling, but how she has sometimes in her performances just a, a carved amount of time for the audience to feel them and have them flow through, and the sound of just. There's no, there's just a ruffling in the, the ambient space. That is her performance. She is so aware of the world that we're in that she is um, sort of giving up her space and joining in with the space of the ambient world around her. So in, in everything she's doing, she's very much bringing attention to our body. Where are we as we're taking in what we're being given? And that's something that I get from her often in, in my performances. I'm asking the audience to to figure out where are you as, as you're um, taking in this information or, or this moment, this experience? How can that convert you or, or transform you? Cecilia wants us to be transformed in that way. Can I say something also related to this coup, coup moment? Um, speaking of how uh, language is, comes from our body, I really love how she attends to those moments when we falter, when we yes. say something, when we can't think of a word, the stutter, the moment when you might misuse a word or mispronounce a word. And she, those are things that normally we think we should censor out. They should be edited out the way that this recording will be edited but um but she includes she the saying, mess she includes, she includes them yes. and they become something that right. actually not only should we attend to but we should value them because the error is pointing the way right if you can follow how why your mind did that kind of trip up from coup to coop to coup to who, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. then something starts to happen and the moment starts to change damn it jenna osman that was so great what you just said i wonder what you're thinking huda many things but especially the uh, the idea about she's asking us to think of where we are and our our bodies where our bodies are so another point that that arrested me in her performance is the the thought of the body of a thought entering a room. This idea of thinking of thoughts as bodies and reading with our bodies. So maybe the non-reading is when we edit out the mess or the body from the process of reading, how we feel and not only who we are. So there's something almost bodily about the way we respond to the world and place ourselves both in time and in place. And she pushes us to do that to think of uh, the world is current, time is always current as well, and place is current. So you're here, but you're somewhere else. You're now, but you're also before and after. And it becomes a, an experience in the body. In a university setting, especially about um, students and try helping them find their voice, whatever that means, it's important to, to call attention to allow the voice its mistakes and, and to shape individual thought in your own way. And, and that includes using your, your, what perceived mistakes, what's supposedly not the way some other people think is how you develop your own voice. So in a student-teacher relationship where 
we're both learning. <laughs> you know, how do we kind of like, you know, continue that um, uh, allowing to have mistakes become the, the voice? The essence of radical pedagogy is mm-hmm. just what you just said. And some people think that poetry performances and other kinds of art performances are the model when they're good for that kind of interanimation. I mean, I'm really, I was put in mind of the very first time I saw you, Edwin, perform. And I was, you know, I remember distinctly feeling uncomfortable in the good way that we always mean. That is like, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. What, I mean, I'm used to someone getting up and reading from a piece of paper, but Edwin is doing five times that in all the senses. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to respond? I think I'm supposed to respond. And of course, all I could think of was, I'm a body in this room. I'm a body in this room. I, I have to take responsibility for the space that I'm taking up. And in a right? way, the language leaves you and the body comes in. Or, 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 or at least they're mutual. They kind of meet each other. Well, that's what you and Cecilia and other people who are, who are working on this have been saying for decades, really. And I love the fact that we're getting to the potential of radical pedagogy through this kind of work. Because what if a teacher was like that in a room? And the, and the, the dynamism and interanimation of subject, object, all becoming subject, subject. Ideally, this is, you know, free Aryan wishful thinking, but still, you know, there is that. And I think that poetry readings have become conventionally so dull that we've lost the potential for that in most people's minds. Jenna, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about Cecilia's performances and how they often begin very unconventionally in that the conventional introduction happens, the honoring of her accomplishments, and then the audience claps, and then she's not there at the podium. I think in this event she was in the back of the room. She often, she often appears at the back of the room and she moves through the space and sometimes makes actual physical contact with the audience, either through a thread or some means of touch. Um, And this, as an audience member who would prefer, I'm talking about myself, would prefer just to to kind of fade into the woodwork, (laughs) um, it is an uncomfortable feeling. And it is a moment where you're like, what is expected of me? What What am I being asked to do here? And um, again, I think this is one of the things that I really appreciate about the fact of there being recordings of these is that I um, lose that performance anxiety that I have in the audience of a live performance and I'm actually able to be, I guess, touched more directly by her voice um, because I've lost the self-consciousness of sitting in the audience uh, like I love that this is what happens in her performances but I feel like um, listening having the opportunity to listen again um, well there's also I'm sorry there's also respect that she has for the audience you you can't just you know I'm going to force you to touch me yeah you know and uh, some performers can go overboard that way but there's a way to kind of like uh, approach there's a bid you, you make a bid, you see if it's being returned, and then you, you, you yes. navigate according to that I mean, there's way. always direct eye contact. She always makes contact with you before she decides what to do. So that, op- that lets you open up more. That lets, you, yeah. uh, that, lets, that lets that energy in. It's not and being forced And there's always a kind of whimsy to it yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you feel very seen and taken care of. Um, as she's doing this kind of audience participation thing. You know, it's like the model for audience participation. I think a lot of um, performance that asks for audience participation hasn't yes. earned it. Right, right, uh, right. But It's also effective for radical politics because mm-hmm. if you're feeling taken care of, then it's a whole lot easier to be, to be with the sentiment. I have one more question I want to throw out and then we'll do a round of final thoughts, but we can go anywhere with this she uses the phrase without lsd which is a laugh line and i want to tell you what i was thinking both in the room and then later listening and then i'd love to hear 
whether any of you thinks that was an important moment. I do think so. It's, it's a joke. It's funny. The audience really laughed. Maybe a third of them know what she's talking about with respect to LSD, and maybe two-thirds have just dreamt it. Um, I, um, I think she's kind of serious about that. I think that um, the, when you get an hour into a Cecilia performance, there's a certain amount of oral, A-U-R-A-L, hallucinating that's going on. All right, so we're actually not quite hearing what she's actually saying, and we begin to add hearing to the sounds being made. So am I crazy, or that without LSD? It wasn't planned, I don't think. It's funny. It was endearing. But I think she's thinking about hallucinating. I, I interpreted it slightly differently. Um, Please. In that she says, can you imagine a thought entering this room and us being able to see the body of the thought it's perfectly doable without right. and without, without LSD, LSD. and right. uh, meaning like we can we can the art can generate this you don't need the chemical yeah yeah but that's I was, sort of what I was thinking I, I mean I was also thinking that you know literature often um it has a way of imagining the world being otherwise um you know, with, say, science fiction or Afrofuturism, there's this ability to imagine a different future or with um, rethinking, reimagining, reinventions of the past, you know, thinking about someone like Sadia Hartman. Um, And I feel like what Cecilia is doing in that moment is saying, like, we can reinvent, reimagine the present. We can do the same thing that happens in literature, thinking about the future, the past, in the actual present moment. Um, and that Transformational doesn't... without the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And Huda? maybe probably transformational in, the, in being together in that room, in the presence of her breath, that is so inviting into a different dimension of the moment, the mystery of the moment that opens the piece, and then her inviting us into this different dimension that transgresses some limits. Allow yourself to to go beyond. We haven't talked about breath. Edwin, lead us off here. Breath, it's so important. um, I I was going to say on that previous point about Elsie. Please do. She's sort of um, allowing us, it's a, it's a dangerous freedom, like Huda mentioned before, like there, there's a danger in, in the fact that, that we're allowed to be that free. So there's a, a, a sense of, of trusting your own intellect and, and how she navigates that and, and sort of, again, it's possibility and it's allowance. And uh, it, so, yeah, the, the breath. Um. Before, before you comment on breath, I wonder if, Zach, you would be willing to add a little of the audio um it's going to take a little work to find it where she talks about thoughts thoughts can you imagine a thought entering this room and us being able to see the body of the thought as you were saying it is perfectly doable and without lsd So there's a, a lot of doability there. <laughs> um, there's a real dare for her to get inside our heads, inside our minds and our ears, and tell us this thing that's very important for us to hear. But because it's, I, I take it, there's so much breath and this and that into it that we're allowed to say, okay, she's not, there's a certain whimsy in the in that kind of force, um, a certain kind of um, it, it is powerful, but it's not telling me exactly what to do. So I'm, I'm saying a few different things there, and that's the nature of breath that it, it's it's permeable and will do things to you that you don't expect. It's open. It's open. Um, so I, I think th- there, there's a, a Lakota. The Lakota Indians have a tradition in, in their uh, in, in storytelling, where when they exaggerate a syllable, it, it changes the meaning totally and in a way connects it more to the creator, to the God. So instead of saying this, if I say this, and so forth. And I imagine that's not, it's not just in that indigenous uh, culture. And I imagine Cecilia 
feeds on that where we're like I, I i doubt that she's elongating syllables for the sake of 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 that but it's more to kind of like create another language within the language itself and, and also i think it is that she catches the the absurdity of language the the craziness of of a word that i just said i'm going to say it again i'm going to stretch it out and really make you think about it because i got to think about it so she's wrapping her wrapping us in her thinking process but it's also the moment i mean the line is who is creating this coup other than our collective thought? She's putting it Which, on us. As soon as I heard that, I was like, like oh, shit. what? Yeah, and <laughs> then she allows you to kind of, what she's doing with sound is allowing you to just kind of stay there for a minute and process. She's putting it on us. She is, you know, it, it, it is, yeah, there's a collectiveness of, of everything about her is collective. You collective know, thoughts can destroy and, and, human and institutions and are doable. They make yeah. things doable. And right. it's a choice. It's mm-hmm. a choice. Yeah. yeah. That has to be recognized. Yeah. 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 But they're also, they have the power to transform. So we, in our, with our collective thoughts, we create the monster that only thinks of profit. But if we allow our thoughts to breathe or to become breath or to, everything's doable then. Because we're human, the human breath, the breath connects us to the human. I think that's Again, a fabric, another texture. Yes, yes. Yeah. Best yeah. moment for me in the piece when I was here in the room was the idea that the thought can enter the room. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what we've been talking about. The event itself, the focus on the room. All right, we're going to go around for final thoughts because we could talk about this and Cecilia's work forever, which would be fun, but I'm sure our listeners would cut away after a while. So final thoughts, something you came today to talk about but haven't had a chance to yet. Huda, final thought? Maybe a wish. So listening to Jenna and Edwin talk about Cecilia performing, I wish I were there. <laughs> I, that, that, I, I can't let go of that thought. I wish I had the opportunity and I wish I will have in the future to experience her on her own terms, where she decides when to enter the room and when to manipulate the breath. and Because I've ha- so far had the experience of listening to her, as Jenna said, uh, recorded and where I'm, I'm not touched, but I'm touched in other ways. I think that immediacy, the immediacy of her work is so transformative and powerful. And I wish I'll have that chance to be in her presence. She's just done a series of performances called Insect the Get On. And uh, about um, the well, rap. you were involved with I that. I was involved with that. There was uh, quite a few poets involved with that, but it was her her concept. Um, and sh- so she's always connected to. So that's about the extinction of the insects. So she's always connected to what's happening in the world. Um, and I, I I'm just so appreciative of the fact that um, she's sort of dare like again the dare. You know, I I have to be. Um, um, I have to come come to the come to the game, and know what's going on and, and what you do with what you have and, and connect to the world around you because you you you're you have the force and the power to bring this to others and and that exchange that interchange the room the breath that we're all in is is vital and continually transformative. Before we turn to Jennifer, final thought follow up question for you, Edwin. When you teach, when you do your workshop. What moment in your teaching comes from the influence that Cecilia Vicuña has had on you? There's a moment where I brought the students to this kind of um, apogee of sound and sensory overload, and then I suddenly stop, and, and I have paper on the floor, markers, and I say, stop, write. Everything stops, they sit, they sit down, and they just scroll like crazy. And this is the moment of, uh, I'm, I'm sort of capturing the world within the context of a workshop, but the idea of like everything coming into you and then suddenly you have a chance to let it all flow out, that's very much Cecilia capturing cool. and letting it go. Cool, thank you. Jenna, final thought? Um, something, a line that I wish we had had time to talk about was this, we collectively have created this mind that thinks of perfect as the only possible reality. And um, it's, I, I feel like those two lines for me function as a meditation, um, thinking about the ways in which they can be applied to so many things, capitalism for one, but um, also just 
my desire to say something that is so perfect that will answer your question, Al, and yet I cannot. Um, but I, I will just say that I'm very interested in how so much of this performance serves as a, a space for contemplation. Thank you. My, my final thought is a little random. I haven't thought it all the way through, but maybe that's appropriate. Um, this idea of the performance as hallucinogenic or art piece as hallucinogenic. Um, one thought I have is I look back to the New York school poets at their best. So Barbara Guest, for instance, in a poem called 20, where 20 just leads to all kinds of things. And it's also about that moment when you're waking in the morning, and so you're really still dreaming, and dream logic takes over. And it's a kind of hallucination, that poem. And it's as free as it can possibly be from any constraint. And it picks 20. It's not a, I don't think it's a symbolic. I don't think 20 is like a number that people attach themselves to, like 13 or whatever. 20. And just she just goes around with 20 and produces this marvelous transformative experience from what is essentially dream state hallucination. The other hallucination thing I've been thinking about is um, what happens when I'm watching something that is either intensely slowed down, film for instance, or just bad, but I won't go into bad. This Sunday, I'm going to be showing nine and a half hours of Claude Lonsman's Shoah to my students. And he's using grainy film stock. He was running out of money. And he is panning across then contemporary, late, late um, 70s and early 1980s, Polish landscape at a time when the snow is melting. And so it's a little hazy. And so the thing that he's filming is hazy. And the film stock is hazy and he pans for 45 seconds across that landscape and you begin after about seven hours to hallucinate that there are things happening on that landscape and of course there were things happening and so you're doing this job of finding the most extreme terrifying political situation by looking at a field through the lens of a filmmaker who's deliberately trying to make it boring. And not that Cecilia is ever boring, but there are times when my mind wanders and then I realize this is what I'm supposed to be doing, which is exactly the opposite of what so many artists want you to do. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for all of us, if you're quick, to spread wide our narrow Dickinsonian hands and gather a little something poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. So who is ready to gather some paradise? Jenna, I think you came ready. Yes, I would like to um, recommend an artist named Everest Pipkin, who is a drawing, game, and software artist. And I'd particularly like to recommend a piece they made called Shell Song, um, which is an online interactive audio narrative essay. I consider it an essay. I think they might call it a game. Um, and that shell song asks us to think about digital voice uh, in relation to our belief in authentic voice. So, uh, and I feel like this kind of connects to our discussion of Cecilia's work and how voice kind of comes into play. But this piece asks us to think about voice through the lens of uh, text-to-speech, voice libraries, gender-neutral voices, vocal cloning, bespoke voice, um, and voice print surveillance, and ultimately is asking us what a voice is worth. Talk about radicalizing the cliché of the poetic voice. That is really good. Pipkin, right? P-I-P. Everest Pipkin. Fantastic. Huda... So maybe I'm not prepared, but this is what comes to mind in the spirit of gathering. I'm currently working, guest editing an issue of the Michigan Quarterly Review, and it's supposed to come out next year, and the title is Decades of Fire. And in the spirit of Cecilia, the idea that we always think of fires and problems to solve when we think of the Middle East, so the issue is dedicated to the poetry and the literature of Middle East and North Africa, 
the call for submissions is out and the deadline is the end of this month. But my hope is that this issue will deconstruct or destroy our expectations when we say Middle East, North Africa, and that hopefully the poets and the writers who submit to this issue will try to, to break out of the limits of that reductive label. Exciting project. And you're, you're too humble to say you're the editor, it sounds like. I'm the guest editor of that guest is- editor. issue, that issue alone. Fantastic. Thank you. Edwin Torres. So I, because my... Uh, the book coming out, Quanundrum, has a lot of has some concrete work in it. I've had um, that on my periphery of the last recent time. So, Nightboat put out this incredible anthology, Women in Concrete Poetry, which I've been looking at recently. And then there's there's uh, one woman in particular who is not in that book, but is an um, is a print artist, Rosaire Appel, A P P E L, who is taking um, these. Abstract photographs and conveying them as notations on page, um, in concrete text. That's a stretch, but it's it's really incredible to kind of like uh, open your your mind to to how you're perceiving the world around you in this kind of manner. So a few different things there, but they're all connected to like how we represent what we're seeing on the on the page. 160 some episodes into the Poem Talk podcast series. I would guess that 90% of the people listening to us know exactly what concrete poetry is. But there's going to be five people who are tuning in accidentally because they found us somewhere. Can you (laughs) briefly say what concrete poetry is? Words on a page that don't look like a poem. Nice. Good job. Okay. My, My gathering paradise is simply that two wonderful poets, important figures, have reached annuated milestones, and I just wanted to say their names. Joan Ritalik has just passed a big milestone, and Rosemary Waldrop also has. I just wanted to say those two poets. Well, that's all the coups created by our collective thoughts we have time for on Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writers' House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers' House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Jenna Osman, Huda Fakradin, and Edwin Torres, and to Poem Talk's directors and engineers today, Zach Cardner and Zelda Kellogg, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner, And a shout-out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. In our next episode, Erica Kaufman, Jack Giesking, and Jonathan Dick join me to talk about And We Sing from Myung Mi Kim's book, Under Flag. This is Al Filreis, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.